mandate that's there. Uh, I, I probably will be talking more about that next week. Um, I wanted to come here and just get a sense for where everything is and what it's looking like, sense in the spirit and in the natural. I'll probably be sharing some things. I've been talking with a number of pastors about that. You know, it's, yeah, well, I won't go further than that right now, but we'll be talking about that probably. It's the Lord leads. So, teaching. There's other teachings online. Make sure you take part of those as well. So many good teachings from uh, healing class, preschool kids, elementary kids, youth group, and so forth. Things there for us. There is an upcoming youth event next Sunday, the 23rd. That's going to be at Joyce and my house, our place. And uh, so we want to welcome. That will be after the church service next Sunday. We'll be doing that. Some good things coming there. Um, I mentioned earlier that someone I had received a, a messenger message this morning from, and it's from Kristen Blake, actually Hanson now. Some of you may remember Dewey and Karen Blake attended our church several years ago. That's Ida Mae Jacobs' daughter. They live in Iowa now. But she was in the church for a number of years, and she's been watching online here now with this. But she says, good morning, Steve and Joyce. Could you please keep us and our town in your prayers at Cedar Rapids? We got hit with a hurricane winds of stage two on Monday. And for many of us, we are doing a lot of cleanup and lost homes and power and food and crops and still today we are working with such a mess so I'm just asking for a prayer request Kristen and we do we pray for Kristen we pray for her family we pray for the people around Cedar Rapids that were hit with this storm Lord it's such a devastating thing to have your home blown away or blown down and then the mess that is there Lord, we pray for encouragement for them and strength to carry on. That you would be that light in the darkness for them today. It just happened when I put my iPad on here this morning that President Trump's brother passed away, I think last night. Uh, Robert Trump, younger brother of President Trump, died Saturday night. The White House confirmed in a statement from the president, he was 71. It is with a heavy, the president says, with, it is with a heavy heart I share that my wonderful brother Robert peacefully passed away tonight, the president wrote. He was not just my brother, he was my best friend. He will be greatly missed, but we will meet again. His memory will live on in my heart forever. Robert, I love you. Rest in peace. So we pray for our president again today and his family. Lord, we pray that you will continue to just minister to him spirit 
by your spirit to his spirit that he may even through this time now in the death of his brother that he may grow spiritually in you and just be before you listening to your voice we just pray for him his family and for this nation the United States of America Lord um, Darlene Colson is in Nielsen Place Care Center she's there for rehab rehabilitation she said to say hello to everyone this morning she so does not so, so much does not like to be here not to be here <laughs> did I get that right well if you know Darlene you know what I'm talking about she so we continue to lift her uh, in prayer my mom was mentioned earlier we continue to lift her in prayer Lord we do these and we know there's others that are especially not here because of health situations Lord, we just lift all of our church family members before you that are not able to be here now during this time. Pray for your encouragement. We pray that, that they may really enter in as we're here together in this way. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. You're the way maker, the miracle worker, promise keeper, light in our darkness for all situations. A note from Adam and Vicki. They got back from their travels and um, they say thanks for their prayers um, due to their travels and meeting so many people they've thought it best not to join the congregation in person. So we will miss you all. So but we'll continue to pray for them and hear reports from them as well. I thought I would just mention this. I think it's a praise report. You know, we had about five inches of rain here a couple of days ago, starting at night, and then through the day, the afternoon rain was like a deluge uh, around here. We ended up with five inches, just short of, on my rain gauge, about that much short of five inches. And uh, there was, no water in the basement of the church here. And yes. you say, some of you may not realize what that is, but that's a pretty big deal because that's been an issue that we've been working on for a while and uh, we're thankful for that. I want to just share with you along the lines of our financial giving. The giving continues to be very good, even though in the midst of this, what we do is we give, we have boxes in the back of the sanctuary where you can place tithes and offerings. Also, you can mail, mail those in to uh, Ten Strike Church, Box 67, I believe it is, Ten Strike, Minnesota. But I want to share this with you, and some of this I sourced from Pastor Sid Litke of Port Washington, Wisconsin. Let this, this soak in. Giving a, is, and actually Peter, while I'm doing this, you can get ready up here, you can come up. Giving is a spiritual issue. And in fact, 
a relational issue with God. In order to truly yield to God's ownership of our possessions, we must evaluate carefully what may be the most telling evidence of our stewardship, the part that we give. Stewardship, and I believe we might have something for you to see for this, for stewardship, from Merriam-Webster Dictionary. It says, the activity or job of protecting and being responsible for something. That's stewardship. Well, just as we decide on what we will spend on an appliance or a vehicle or whatever, how much we put in savings or in a retirement account, we must also decide how much money we will give. Even to give nothing is a decision. As a steward, I am accountable in each decision from the perspective of the owner. And when we're giving to God, that owner, it's with a capital O. Some may see the responsibility of giving as a burdensome and hard thing. That is sad in light of Paul's reminder that God loves a cheerful giver. Giving is actually a relational decision. On an ongoing basis, as I decide to give, I am constantly affirming how much I value my relationship to God as his child. As God's steward, decisions about giving are simply a matter of thinking through how he wants me to allocate his money. An amazing benefit of being a steward of God's money is giving. It's a benefit because giving releases me from the stress and burden of my own financial needs. As I learn to trust God through giving, I can live confidently on what is left over after giving because I know that God is taking care of my finances. Deciding to give separates me from worry about finances as it connects me more closely to God relationally. Giving of my money or whatever else I may give is a step of faith. And faith is pleasing to God. When I give, I exercise my faith, and this causes that faith muscle to grow stronger. The outcome of my giving as a steward is that I experience a sense of intimacy with God that my heart longs for. I can also experience a release from stress and the burden of finances in my life. Giving becomes worship. It is bowing before God and yielding to his directive in childlike trust. Giving becomes a way of saying thanks to God for his grace and promised provision. Giving becomes a close and tangible part of my personal connection, my personal relationship with God. 
And so, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity, this benefit of being a steward of what you've given to us that we can give. And we thank you for your blessing on our tithes and offerings and that you will supply all of our needs according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And Lord, we thank you for your anointing on the word as Peter brings it to us this morning as well now. In Jesus' name, we thank you for Peter and the word that will come through him. Amen. Make sure we can. There we go. All right. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. It's good to be with the church family. Um, I think I'll begin with a, a little story. I wasn't, wasn't planning on it, but I think it'll, I think it fits. Uh, so about a week, a week and a half ago, me and my brother and my cousin um, were getting up at, at about three in the morning to uh, climb the tallest mountain in Wyoming. And uh, it was a beautiful night. Uh, the, the moon was out. We could see the mountain. And the thing is, is we had spent the, the whole day, the day before, we had been studying the mountain. We had been spending a lot of time trying to figure out how we were going to get to the top. Uh, and we had prepared for this. We had come for that purpose, to climb to the top of the mountain. And we had brought with us helmets. We had brought with us ice axes. We had brought with us uh, spikes for our shoes so that we could get up the snow fields. Uh, we had brought with us ropes so that we would be safe and harnesses, and we brought all the gear that we had needed to get to the top. All we needed to know was how to get there. And so we were studying the mountain, and we thought we knew how to get to the top. We were, we were looking at it, we thought, this, this looks like the way, we said to ourselves. Uh, so that night, we get up, and we're walking up the mountain, and as we're going, the, the moon disappears, the light of the moon disappears, and, and darkness comes over us, clouds sort of... Uh, start brewing, and we start feeling the, the light, light mist of, of some, some water coming from the sky, and we, we didn't think much about it. We said, well, we've got to keep going. We know the way, certainly. We know how to get to the top. But as we kept going, we realized that it was raining harder and harder. It was getting darker and darker. We could see less and less, and things were getting steeper and steeper and wetter and more dangerous. We, rocks started falling on us. Um, and we realized we didn't actually know the way to the top that we thought we had. We had lost our way in the darkness and in the rain. So we had to turn back. <laughs> we had to go back to the bottom of the mountain and look up at it. And as we got to the bottom and the sun began to rise, we could see the mountain once again. The rain dissipated and we realized our mistake. <laughs> we had gone the wrong way. We, had, we didn't know the way. We, we hadn't studied the mountain correctly. Um... And what I, what I mean to say by this is, uh, this morning, I would like to study the mountain with you. <laughs> um, I think it's important uh, in these times um, that we, we know what we mean when we say we are trying to reach the top of the mountain. We know that we know the way. <laughs> um, it's important to know that we, when we're putting our steps forward, that it's not just, you know, in these times, uh, we're sitting here uh, together in the church, it's calm, it's the sunlight, but it's most important to know the way when it's dark and rainy and it's hard to see. That's the time to know that uh, I have studied the word, I have studied uh, 
the things that I know. I have studied the way I know how this works, and I know this mountain. That's, I think, what I'm trying to say this morning. So um, we want to know the mountain. We want to know the character of the mountain so that when we step on it, we are confident that we can get to the top regardless of what the weather will be like, regardless of whether we can see um, the way we thought we knew beforehand. Um, so let's get into it. Are my screens up there? Uh, Lucas, you can put up the first screen. Why don't you? So my message is a new life. And this morning I'd like to uh, re-examine a fairly, I think, familiar piece of scripture, uh, John 3. I would imagine many of us have at least one piece of that chapter memorized. Um, I'm sure we could all say it if we wanted to. Um, it's a foundational piece of scripture, though, isn't it? It's one we look to when we're talking about what is it that we believe? What is the, the foundation of what it means to be a Christian in this world? And I want to look at it for, for several reasons. Um, so you can go to the next slide, Lucas. Oh, that's all off. Well, that will um, make it more difficult to see mine, what I've put up for you. Um, most of what, I've, what I have on here will be scripture, though, so getting out your Bibles will be most helpful. Um, I'm sure they can, they can work on that. Uh, but I have three purposes in mind in looking at this, at the third chapter of John. Um, the first is I want to just go somewhere that maybe is well-trodden, somewhere that um, is familiar, a piece of verse that we've said over and over and over again until we've memorized large portions of it. But I want to re-examine it with some fresh eyes um, and hopefully to see past some of that familiarity. You know how sometimes familiarity um, can sometimes create comfortability. We think about things in the same way over and over again. Sometimes we miss things. Um, so I'm hoping to peel back a little bit of the familiarity, uh, and instead hear the heart of the Father through these words, um, to see past ourselves, and instead just get lost a little bit in the wonder and the awe of who our Jesus is, who the King is that we follow. Especially, and I think this is especially, for me at least, I get the most revelation when I find those kind of bits of wonder and awe and revelation in the places that maybe I've forgotten to look for it. Um, you can read the Bible and you can look through, all right, I got to find the secrets. But sometimes the best kept secrets are in the places that they were, they were all along. <laughs> it's right in front of us. Um, the second reason uh, is just to allow the Spirit to impart truth and wisdom and revelation through this close examination. Since we're examining something that's so foundational um, in the way we understand who we are as Christians, my hope is that that also serves to to help us understand who Jesus is and who we are. Um, that grows something within us and how we understand who we are and how we go out and touch other people, which is, of course, the, the main thing, right? Is if we understand who Jesus is, if we understand who we are, then what I mean by climbing the mountain really is, is touching the people, right? We can bring Jesus, we can be Jesus if we know who Jesus is uh, and what his character is like. Um, but in saying that, I also don't mean that I'm going to be uh, saying anything entirely novel or entirely new. Um, I'm not going to be painting a new picture. John's already got the words for us. Um, we're just going to read the words, and hopefully the Spirit will reckon something new for us. Uh, and just by looking at it again. Um, you know the story. My hope is instead just to add a little nuance, some detail, uh, some clarity. 
Um, all right. So let's begin. I just, let's just read through it. I'm going to read the first 21 verses of chapter 3. So there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, and he was a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said to him, Well, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said that you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? And he answered to him and said, Are you the teacher of Israel? And do you know not know these things? Uh... Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who has come down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have that eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn it, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe in who, he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God." All right, so I want to kind of, that's a lot, obviously, but we want to break it down a little bit, go, go verse by verse. But the fun thing about chapter 3 is that you're actually, you're missing a piece of it if you start at verse 1, and that has to do with uh, modern conventions of breaking up the text. It wasn't originally written with chapter breaks, we know. Um, so you actually have to go back to the uh, last three verses of chapter 2. And I would have had them up there, but that's okay. Um, so I'll read them to you. Um, so the verses say, uh, this is verse 23 of chapter 2. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. Now, I'll admit, I don't think uh, that I fully grasp everything that's going on in these three verses. 
Um, everything that John is trying to communicate, I think there's a lot actually going on here. Uh, but I think I see one thing that's being made clear. Here, John creates a very small portrait, I think, of the state of humanity and the place that Jesus is when he arrives into that portrait of who we are. Now, on the outside of things, humanity in this little picture um, uh, seems entirely ready to be on board with Jesus' kingdom, right? They believed. Um, but it's only on the burden of the proof provided by the signs and wonders that benefit them. It's the new thing. It's the shiny thing. It's the novel thing. Wow, look at this guy. We better follow him. He's doing some pretty cool stuff. Um, but we get this contrast. Jesus, on the other hand, doesn't place his faith into humanity because he sees beyond the outward appearance of things. Nor is he responsible for even making a case against humanity. He doesn't have to prove that it isn't always what it appears to be. His very presence makes that clear in this little picture. Um, and in just a side note, um, you see these words in verse 23. Um, there's a definite contrast being made here. Um, it says that the people believed in him, but it says Jesus did not commit himself, is what my Bible translates it as. But the words there in the Greek are... are are based on the same root word. Um, epistuo, I think, is the word that they're based on, which is to say faith or belief. It's what you place in something. It's the trust you place in someone. So there's a, a linguistic contrast being made here between what Jesus is doing with humanity and what humanity does with Jesus. And I think this is, this is purposeful. Um, I just want to spend a moment just thinking about this framing device, because I think it's really, it's really important for how we understand what happens when Nicodemus comes to meet with Jesus. Um, Jesus' very presence in the world pinpoints, I think, fundamental flaws in the human system um, that showcases why God himself needs to come as a human in order to redeem the original intent for God's vision of what humanity can be. It's his creation. It's what we have the potential to be, but he has to be at first. Uh, in this particular case, we see how readily humanity is prepared on the outside for some sort of new movement. Uh, it's a new cause. It's something uh, brand new. Uh, but it's sorely unprepared on the inside for a new kind of relationship between uh, themselves and God. Um, I like to think uh, that there is... There's a definite, uh, if you know your Bible, there's, there's definitely something going on. Um, it, it matters that Jesus is doing this on the Passover. Uh, if we know our Bible, what's the, next what's the next time that Jesus is in front of a crowd in Jerusalem on the Passover? What's the crowd doing then? Are they believing because he did miracles? It's the same people. They know what he did. But what are they doing then? Crucify him. Crucify him. Crucify him. That's the picture of humanity, right? There's... It looks good on the outside, perhaps, but there's something else going on, on in the inside, and Jesus wants to get to the heart of that. Um, and it's, uh, so we see that. He says, we, he knew what was in man. So we go, we turn to verse 1, and how does our story begin with Nicodemus? There was a man, one of these men, one of these people who are just like this, that Jesus knows. <laughs> and not only, he's not just any man, though. Um, he's a Pharisee. He's a ruler of the Jews. So this is a very pivotal, pivotal image, this man coming to Jesus. Um, he's a representative of one of the most well-known. He's the most powerful. He's the richest, one of the richest people in the country at the time. 
And not only that, he stands as an eminent religious leader of the people. So when people see this man, they think of God. Or to put it another way, this man has been responsible for the majority of his life for showing his people what God is like. So this is a very symbolic meeting. Um, Someone who is supposed to represent God meeting God himself in the form of humanity. So we move to verse 2. Uh, so this man came to Jesus by night. So one thing we, we usually recognize pretty quickly is that um, Nicodemus here isn't usually being pre- uh, presented to us in the most, uh, to, to say a pun here, in the most flattering light. <laughs> uh, he comes in the darkness, right? He comes at night. Uh, we mean that quite literally there. It's this instant image of he's being obscured in some way. He's, not, he's wanting to hide something. And we can maybe speculate what he was trying to hide or why he was trying to hide. Um, but I think that image alone, he's, he's being obscured. He's hiding. There's something on the outside that he wants to show, but there's something else going on on the inside. Um, there's something being kept secret here. Uh, but we might, what we might not always catch is that the opening line he gives to Jesus when he says, Rabbi, we know. Um, the opening line he gives to Jesus um, matches those surroundings pretty perfectly. Uh, it's, there's, there's, a, there's a veiling going on there. It's a very veiled compliment. Doesn't it sound like that? Um, uh, we, we know that you are a teacher who comes from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him, right? Um, there's a definite pretense, I think, going on here. Uh, he pretends towards seeking Jesus out to pay him maybe some kind of respect is what it sounds like. Um, but it doesn't take much to read between the lines here. Um, there's a definite statement being made about under whose authority God ordains his chosen representatives. Remember, this man is supposed to be representative of who God is, and he's coming to meet Jesus. Um, and he recognizes that Jesus looks different than what he does, than what he does as a representative of who God is. He, represi- he recognizes that there's a different-looking God in Jesus than what he's represented his whole life. Um, and that, I think, is a worrying thing for these people who are powerful, <laughs> who, who work within the human system. Um, so what he's doing here, I really think, um, is he essentially implies that without the approval of the Sanhedrin, rulers of Jerusalem, um, Jesus has no authority to do what he's doing. Um, and there's a threat here as well. There's, there's one sheriff. This is a one sheriff kind of town, and we run it, not you. So maybe get in line. You have to prove yourself to us. We are the authority. We are the ones who are ordaining you. <laughs> um, you need our approval is sort of, uh, we know, we know. This is what we know is sort of the uh, pivotal line there, I think. But look how Jesus responds in verse 3. It's very interesting. Uh, he doesn't take any of the bait. He doesn't, he doesn't even address what Nicodemus is, is putting down here. Because uh, remember, he knows the hearts of men. So there's something else going on here that Jesus knows. Uh, he doesn't trust the surface of things. Uh, he points out the root problems that he's come to die for and to make right. Um, so this is what Jesus believes is really at issue here. That the kingdom of God and humanity are separated and necessitate some kind of change in order to bring them into union. Uh, and as we know, that chain is something that we that change is something we refer to as being born again, as he says here. You need to be born again in order to see the kingdom of God. Um, except 
that's not actually what Jesus says. And I'll come back to that in a minute. But before that, I want to, I want to look at how Nicodemus reacts then to what Jesus has said. I mean, he, he didn't get answered. He, he, hasn't, he hasn't gotten what he's come for. Jesus said something he wasn't expecting. Um, so this is how Nicodemus reacts. Is he, is he says this strange thing. How, how can a man be, go back into his mother's womb? Uh, it's rather humorous. Uh, and I remember reading this story as a child, and you kind of get a little, a little titter, a little laugh. He <laughs> look at Nicodemus. He's <laughs> what's he, what's he thinking? Uh, how, how could Nicodemus be so stupid? I remember thinking as a kid. Um, doesn't he know what that means? Doesn't he get it? Uh, isn't he on board? Why, why is, why would he think of that first? Um, but as I've studied this, and one of the main things I want to bring out today, actually is that I, I, don't, I don't think that old, good old Nick here is, is supposed to be the punchline of the story, especially when he says that. I, I, as modern readers, I think we find that very funny. Um, but I think it alerts us to, to a type of thinking that's very important to, to, to look at here. Um, so biblical scholars will tell you that what is actually most likely happening here is not a misunderstanding of some well-known doctrine, it's not like people were out there talking about being born again and Nicodemus just doesn't get it. Um, it's an inability to, to grasp an idea on, on a very basic level, on the linguistic level. He hasn't heard these words together. It's a very strange thing to say. Um, and the trouble here for Nick seems to mainly rest on the word we translate in verse 3 as again, to be born again. Um, and I had a slide for this too, but I'll try to go slow here. Uh, so in the Greek, the word again there that's translated like that is the word anothen, uh, which is most often defined this way. Uh, anothen means from above, from heaven, from the beginning, from the first, from the origin, from the source, from of old. And only very rarely, and perhaps only based on our translation here, might we actually say rarely even at all, um, again, or anew, or over again. Uh, in fact, you can see that this word uh, is used, uh, you can see this word used in its most well-known usage as uh, from heaven, from above, from the beginning, from the source, uh, in this very same chapter. If you uh, would glance over to verse 31, uh, you'll see it says, he who comes from above is above all. Uh, and that, that phrase, from above there, is the exact same word, anothen. Um, so when Jesus suggests that the only way for humanity to be reunited with God's ultimate purpose is to be born anothen, it is clear that this is a combination of words rather foreign to Nicodemus, to be born anothen. Okay, he's trying to figure out, what does that mean? Uh, and in fact, I think Greek scholars will tell you that this is a very rare, if not the only instance that these words have been seen in concert. Uh, in, in many, you know, studying many manuscripts, you're only going to find this here, born anothen. You wouldn't, you wouldn't put these words together this way. Um, but on the other hand, if you knew what the word anothen meant, and you were a spiritual leader, you might expect that you would, you would kind of understand what he was saying. Born from heaven, born from above. Uh, that, that seems intuitive if you were someone who knew God, who knew the Spirit, but, but Nick's first guess is nothing like that. He, he stretches for the, the most, the strangest answer. Born, born anothen must mean to be born a second time from your mother's womb. 
Uh, and what I've come to, uh, to think about this <laughs> is that the reason Nicodemus stretches for that answer to say, all right, the, the, one, the thing that makes the, la- the least sense is the only thing I can think about uh, is because of, what Nic- of, because of Nicodemus's mindset. His mindset wasn't set on the things of heaven. To be born Anothen is a foreign idea to a spiritual leader, which is a rather interesting picture. Instead, he's thinking of things in terms of an earthly mindset. The only thing he can think about is, well, the only way I know birth is a mother's birth, a human birth, an earthly birth. Um, and if you're, in your, if you're looking at your Bible like mine, your Bible actually make a note probably somewhere in there if you have a study Bible. But there will be a, a little asterisk next to the word again, and it will say, from above. <laughs> uh, and it's kind of interesting to me that we, we use Nicodemus's poor understanding of what Jesus was trying to say as our official translation of what's happening here. Uh, so I'd like to uh, expound for a minute maybe on, on, on why I think this distinction is, uh, is pivotal. Um, we often think of the idea of being born again, uh, and what we really mean is that someone has been converted into our beliefs, and they are essentially a new person because they believe new things, and thus they act differently. Um, but when I think for me personally, what this phrase born again suggests is this idea that we have this physical life here that we are living, and that some of us choose to add on just an additional spiritual life that is slightly different, but it's just it's added on. Um, thus, we have again in our kind of mindsets. That, thus, we say it's a new life. Um, you might even say, or a new birth. Um, you have your one life, but now you're born again, and you have two lives in some sense. Um, and these lives are in conflict with each other, is sometimes how we think of our Christian uh, living. And I remember being told that once, that every person has a God-shaped hole inside of them. Uh, they try to fill it with other stuff, Uh, But it is essentially just this dead space that God comes to fill with a different life. That's what it means to be born again, I was told. Uh, But part of what I want to propose today and hopefully send you home with uh, is knowing that God wants to do more than just patch up a hole inside of you. Um, You might have a Bible that's titled this section, The New Birth, um, but I believe that thinking this way falls into maybe some of the same miscommunication that Nicodemus is suffering from here. Um, saying this section is about a new method of birth would suggest that Jesus is more concerned about the way in which we get to life um, and the way in which life is obtained rather than what the substance of what that life is itself. Um, it's a lot like um, being more, I, I would like to think about it as, being more concerned with uh, what kind of vehicle you're trying to drive rather than what your destination is. Um, it's being more concerned about the quality of your silverware rather than asking what it is you're about to eat. Um, to put it more simply, I believe that repeating Nicodemus's mistake, we come to think of salvation in a maybe a more religious or earthly terms. It's a set of actions or methods or formula. Um, it's something you do rather than something that you are. Um, when I was a young child, I went through a phase where I would pray to be born again um, almost every night. <laughs> um, perhaps you can relate. Maybe you went through a phase like that at some point in your life. I was so afraid that the first one didn't quite take, <laughs> um, that I hadn't said the words just quite right, or not, maybe not enough conviction. I didn't feel it enough. 
Uh, maybe God hadn't quite heard me, you know. Uh, I, I don't feel quite different. Um, uh, maybe, uh, maybe he hadn't quite believed me. And so I repeated, repeated the same little rituals in order to feel safe. Um, as in, I had to assure myself with my actions in order to secure my salvation. <laughs> but when Jesus says to be born anothen, I would like to suggest that he isn't presenting just a new birth. He's presenting an entirely new type of life in and of itself. He doesn't just want to give us a new way to get to some life that we already have. He wants to be that life. He doesn't just want to reveal a part of something that we felt was missing. He wants to reveal the whole of everything to bring us into the fulfillment of his intention for what life can be like that we never even lived before we had him. Um, a way, to, I think, to think about this, and I was thinking about this as we were worshiping, is that to say that we get born again is to infer that we were ever born at all, is to infer that we ever had life at all before Jesus. Jesus is life. He is what it means to live on this planet. Um, without him, it's just a shadow of that life. It's just a, a replica that that doesn't live up to real life. It doesn't live up to being really born into what it means to, to exist. <laughs> um, you're, we're missing out on, on, what, on the substance of something when we say that we just need to, to add on Jesus. It's, we need to become who he is. Um, and I think Jesus is expressing that here to Nicodemus. So Nicodemus' answer and inability to understand is a very powerful picture, I think, of the state of humanity. Um, here we have someone who is meant to represent the personhood of God, but they can only imagine life within the realm of the physical world and its sharp boundaries. It is no stretch of the imagination, even to the modern reader, to think that the people of the time, using men like Nicodemus as, uh, as a symbol, might have come to see God in the very same terms, to see God in that same human system box, um, beholden to our rules of how things work, constrained by the structures of power and our structures of value and our structures of how we think things work in this world. Um, and I think that's the same even today, isn't it? That we come to imagine God working the way things work here, the way we think life works. We grow up thinking a certain way. We, our minds come, become attuned to the earthly sense. But there's, there's more. There's a difference. And in fact, that difference is the reality. <laughs> And I think Jesus is expressing that. And that's where this confusion on Nicodemus's part is coming from. Now, in verses uh, 10 through 21, I won't go through all of them quite as slowly here. Uh, but if you read the rest of Jesus' exhortation in this light, you'll find that everything he says in is in direct response to that misrepresentation of who he is and a misunderstanding about the fundamental significance of what the, f the very fiber of what life can be built out of. Um, and if you look through it, there, there are just some interesting things here that Jesus is, is responding to. Uh, and one thing I like to point out, just, just kind of fun, I guess, I think, is that you know, I think it's interesting that, that Nicodemus comes bursting in through the door and he says, we know, this is what we know. And then Jesus tells him one thing about what God is like, and he says, oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> and Jesus goes on to, to affirm that when he says, we speak and we know and we ourselves are the witness. Uh, and I think that 
that is just sort of a repetition of that idea that John begins the story out with when he says that he knows uh, the hearts of men and he doesn't, have to, he doesn't have to prove anything about who we are or what we need because he's already it. He is what we need. Um, but one thing that, he, uh, that, is, that John is doing here, I think, uh, is that he makes it clear, he makes a clear distinction between the limits of what we come to believe things are all about and what he came to show us that it's all about. A distinction about what we expect God to act like and what he is actually like. So humanity, in the form of Nicodemus here, comes attempting to hide its true nature. It threatens, it accuses, and shrewdly attempts to undermine the authority of others in the hopes of promoting itself. But God so loves that same treacherous humanity, the humanity that his very presence proves the guilt of. God so loves his humanity that he lays his infinite life down and hands it freely over to humanity so that humanity can be rid of the shadow it once called life, that thing that we lived and we said, this is what life is. And he says, you can disregard that. There's a something infinite and bigger, something that I am, that is what life is, that is your new definition of life, and you can have it. You can have it today, is what he says. <laughs> so in this sense, this new life, this life that is anothen, that is from above, from the source, from the place that life existed from, from the beginning, where creation came from, from that source, from that truth of his good design, that is free from any corruption of darkness that we've given to any idea of what life is about. We can hard, once we've, we've adopted that, we've become that, we've, we can hardly call ourselves humanity at all. Um, we are something new together here. We are a new creation. Uh, and Paul really gets this. Uh, I just want to turn quick. 2 Corinthians, go to 2 Corinthians um, 5, 2 Corinthians 5. Second uh, Corinthians five seventeen through twenty one. This is what Paul says. Paul got this. Paul read the Gospels. He read John, and, and this is what Paul had to say about it. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things they have passed away. They're gone. Behold, all all things have become new. It's a new life. Now, all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us that same ministry of reconciliation. What's our purpose? To bring that to other people. That is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors. We represent Christ. We are who Christ is on this earth. And as though Christ, God himself, were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God, to be reconciled to life, to stop living that life that is old and passed away and done. It never was life to begin with, to live the life that he has made, the life that he is, to live as God's child, not to live as a human who is born into the sin and the flesh and the water, but to live as a man of the Spirit, to live as a woman of the Spirit, to live as that new creation. Uh, for he made him who knew no sin to be that sin. He became that old humanity that we might become the righteousness in God. <laughs> 
What a wonderful thing. So again, it's not about what we do. It's about the manner in which we see our very existence. It's the way we treat the way this life can be. I think sometimes we see our Christianity like something handed to us. Uh, it's like a jetpack, an manual how to operate that mechanical jetpack. Um, if we could just figure out how to use all the stuff right, right? If we could just get our act together and straighten up, then maybe we could fly right, as the saying goes. But when we give ourselves into the service of Christ, the word says that we are transformed from the inside by the presence of his living spirit. It's a new existence. We aren't given mechanical wings. We grow them from the inside. Birds fly because they have wings. It's their nature. It's what they were born to do. It's the life that they live. So to close, um, that's a good closer. Um, I'm always just excited about Bible stuff. Um, and, I, and I would tell you to go out and read the rest of chapter 3. It's very interesting, actually. Um, Paul gives you a very, uh, an interesting parallel story about John the Baptist. Um, it's very similar, actually, you'll find, to the story about Nicodemus. John is a public figure who represents a, a spiritual manifestation of God's character. Um, he's, uh, again, he's confront, John is confronted with Jesus as a threat to his place as a leader and a figure of power and influence. Um, John's disciples come up and says, Jesus is doing all these things, and he's taking your followers away from you, John. What are you going to do? Uh, but John's response is different than Nicodemus. John isn't confused. Um, John's respo response, actually, and if, uh, I challenge you to just go through and, and look for the, for the connections between the first part of John 3 and the second part of John 3. John the Baptist, almost word for word, point by point, repeats to his disciples the very message that Jesus gave to Nicodemus about what life is really about. Um, and in fact, uh, I think it's in verse 29, uh, John declares that since Jesus has taken John's place, then John's joy will be fulfilled, <laughs> is what he says. My joy is fulfilled because Jesus has taken my place. Uh, and what a beautiful picture that is. What a new version of life that is, where it's not about ourselves and what we are trying to do individually together. Um, it's not about me or you. It's not about us being alone in the dark, hoping that Jesus will save us from ourselves. It's about all of us together, right? Um, if you go forward and if you go to move to chapter 4, it's interesting that the beginning of chapter 4 starts out with that picture of Jesus. He's doing John's work uh, John the Baptist's work, he's baptizing, but Jesus isn't doing it alone. He's doing it with all his disciples. And the reason that Jesus' ministry is blossoming, where John the Baptist's ministry is shrinking, is because Jesus is doing it as a community. <laughs> um, so it's a beautiful picture. It's not just ourselves. It's all of us together. It's all of us doing something that's fresh and alive and renewed. The new life is about more than just the life we live. It's about the life we are living together. Um, and that includes those who are watching us today. It's the life we're all living together. Um, it's Jesus' kingdom right now and right here with us who are sitting here. And I don't believe that a pandemic can stop that. I don't believe an election year can stop that. I don't think there's anything that can leash what the Spirit is doing amongst us and in us and through us. Um, so Jesus, <laughs> to finish... We, we lay it on you. We lay our old ideas about what life, the very substance of life is about. We, we say that what you say life is about. We say that who you are as life is what life is about. That we would live you. We would live Jesus. We would touch 
others with the light of Jesus, and we would communicate with each other, commune together in that same light as you, as you, as you, Jesus, as you, as it is in heaven, Jesus, let it be here on this earth. In your name, Jesus, amen. Amen, amen. All right. Are we released, or is there more to Hallelujah. be said? See, this is what, this is part of what the Lord is doing in this day. He's bringing us to a new place, new levels of various things. One of them is who we are in Christ, who and what we are in Christ. And that's what Peter by the Spirit was proclaiming to us here this morning. Now, this is one I'm going to, you know, there's also, we can watch live stream on video to see it again because there was a lot packed in there you know and so sometimes it's by hearing and hearing again the word that comes forth but also I know John works at putting it on the audio and you can get it through SoundCloud what is it again SoundCloud what yeah SoundCloud and so that's just like the audio and this from like from your phone you can put it like when you're going to work, uh, you know, and just listen to it, too, or whatever you're doing. When Joyce is working in the garage or whatever, or when I'm working in the garden. Yeah, and Joyce, yeah, we'll listen to them, you know, over and some of them, you know, it's just, that's what it is. It, it confirms in you. But... Uh, that's that's word that came by the Spirit of God. Revelation came to you, Peter, on these things, and you shared it with us under the anointing of the Spirit. And, and then the other part is, like we see in Ephesians 1, it talks about the revelation and the eyes of our understanding being opened that we might grasp it and live with it, walk like that. That we are new creatures in Christ Jesus. Old things have all passed away. Behold, all things become. You're an ambassador for Christ, and I am too. So anyway, thank you, Lord. Praise God. Well, we'll have fellowship time. The ushers, I believe, what we'll continue to do, I guess, from the back to the front. Uh, is how we're doing it these days, ushered out. If anyone wants prayer, you can come forward here and we'll pray with you. And uh, God's peace, his love, his joy over each one in Jesus' name. And everyone in agreement said, Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God.